At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. That real shit, y'all. Can't stop. 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 Let's get this stop. talking about haircuts again every time they interview it's all about haircuts haircuts i actually got i actually got a really great haircut that was in alaska all right so this month we just added a slew an entire slew of tour dates to the events and tours section over at studymusicgroup.com so be sure to check that out motherfuckers on that tour are going to include myself 
right? One word, all right. And our homie Dan Dillinger from Brooklyn, all right. So check that out. We're gonna be cruising around the western half of North America, March and April. Should be a good old time. So head on over to studymusicgroup.com/shows check it out see if we can be coming into your town and uh all right without further ado we're gonna get into this you probably already saw it in the title but we're sitting down today with uh dj halo what's up dj halo yeah nothing just hanging out kicking it with your new dog right on right on yeah the dog might be on the podcast huh? Fight me like he wants more attention on the show. <laughs> he's like, give me that mic, Dad. Yeah, his contract hasn't he's, worked out. He's chewing on my hoodie so. earlier. What's up? But um, yeah. So what's up? Can we can we go? Uh, can we rewind like twenty years? Twenty years? Yeah. I was. <laughs> so like after oh. you know after your balls dropped and you yeah. like had a social life and stuff you know after you kind of. Flew the coop. Yeah. Where does the Halo story start? The how Halo do you story. like? How do you? How do you? Wh- where does your story with music start? I don't know. Either like listening more than just like average, or or what maybe. Oh uh, yeah. Well, uh, I will. I will tell you. I've been a music fan. Like I always had it. Um, you know, like everybody. Oh my my entire life. But I listened to the radio like a lot. When I was young, and I used to, um, I used to record myself doing these like faux radio broadcasts, uh-huh. like, like tapes and tapes and tapes uh, of me just like basically talking to myself because I didn't really. How are you? How are you making it? Like with what? Just with a tape, one of those um, tape recorders. Yeah. You know, just like you press the like cord the and talk like into it. The little yeah, mini I mean? boombox yeah. recorders. Yeah, yeah, but it's like the one speaker boombox mm-hmm. tape pops yeah. out, and there's mm-hmm. like all the buttons here and like a little handle. Yeah. So I would I would do that, and I listened to the radio. You know, like this this my peak when I started becoming like my own person, wanting like listening to my own music, was like right around um, Bobby Brown's uh, like big album with. Um, uh, prerogative, uh-huh. and uh, didn't he cover "Don't Be Cruel" too? <laughs> um, That's but uh, th- there was another another song of his off the album too. But anyway, so that was like, and you know, Millie Vanilli acts yeah. like that. This is like end of the '80s when it was like still the, the '80s, not quite the '90s yeah. yet. What did you record in your uh, your shows? Or make believe shows rather. What did I record? I just yeah. recorded just myself talking to myself. Oh, you just, just yeah. strictly talking. So yeah. it's like a talk totally show. Totally just talking. It was an imaginary talk show. Awesome. Yeah, That's yeah. Awesome. But but I never played. I never played the tapes for anybody. It was just something that yeah. I did by myself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't really. Absolutely. I didn't really. I read a lot of books and I didn't have like too many friends when I was younger. So mm-hmm. I just like sit and talk to myself, listen <laughs> to the radio. So. So that's that's how it started, and then um, you know I just always was very very into music and got it. I mean I got into rap really early, like I just sort of my sister got into rap, and she was like two and a half three years older than me, 
Yeah, I got the same kind of thing going so on. I, I so, I was, like, listening to NWA. Like, I had the NWA and the Posse tape when I was, like, oh, eight. And I was what's like, the first, so what's the you, earliest song you can remember? Earliest song I can remember? Yeah. Well, I remember these road trips that we used to take. Because um, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, so we would take these road trips to either my dad's parents' house or my mother's parents' house because it was sort of equidistant. My dad being in western Pennsylvania and my mom being in Fort Smith, Arkansas from where we were at. And that, that's the first music I remember. And it just seemed like always the only songs on the radio were Eagles, Witchy Woman, uh, <laughs> Billy Joel, The Longest Time, and um, uh, there's like a third one. That, uh, that I can't remember, but those are probably the first songs I, I clearly remember like some of the lyrics to. What about hip-hop? Hip-hop? Hip-hop just, uh, I just, I didn't even know what rap, me- I guess I did, because I knew of the Beastie Boys when I, you know, like 86 or something like that. You heard the stories of them like throwing bottles at the crowd and shit and being like, oh man, rap music, you know? Uh-huh. But... Uh, I guess, like, N.W.A., like, I didn't even know really it was rap music or, or that it was a different kind of music. I just knew I wanted to listen to it. Uh-huh. You know? I just knew I had to have it. And then, from from then, I started to, like, make more friends, and we would we all liked rap and whatnot, and, you know, things like Public Enemy, and so, uh, so you, you started to, like, have a feeling of, like, oh, okay, this is, like, a thing. Because when I was first listening to music, I didn't really know genres or anything like that. It was just like, oh, I want to listen to this kind of music. I want to listen to this group. I want to listen to this group. I want to listen to this group. Uh And it was all just kind of music, you know. I I guess I sort of understood that there were different types, but I didn't really, you know, I didn't understand the nuance. So, you know, Guns N' Roses, N.W.A. was like the same. It was all music I wanted to hear. But your sister was listening to hip-hop before you were? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome! Yeah, did she that, did she put you well, on? Because I mean, I was like, what? I was like seven. Uh, I mean, yeah. what what are your like yeah, channels yeah, sure. to collect music <laughs> for sure, when yeah. you're seven years that's, old that's in awesome. like no, 1984? No, I think that's uh, that's it's definitely something I didn't know. Um, yeah. What was the first thing she put you on to? If you can remember that? Uh, no, I would just go into her into her room and steal tapes and like dub oh, them nice. high speed and then put nice. them back before she got home, so she wouldn't <laughs> even know that I had. Yeah. That's, like That's funny, over the, <laughs> over the holiday, I was just talking to my sister about this one story. Man, we went on this family vacation, and up, t- up until this story, my sister and I, we kind of like had our shared music collection. Uh-huh. So like at first, she had like maybe like, 20 CDs and mm. I didn't even have like a CD player I just had like a old school Iowa boom box it just okay. had a tape player and then you could like you know you could record the radio if you had a blank tape yeah and then um, so I had a few tapes and she had a few CDs she had a CD player and then we kind of like powered up and put our collection together in this mm. one CD book because our like rooms were like right next to each other okay you know so we would kind of share the collection and then we went on this family vacation once once the cd collection got pretty thick we went on this epic vacation and one of us we never really could agree on who it was one of us left it in a cd 
in a in a seat back pocket of an airplane. Oh, it was like hundreds oh, of yeah. hundreds of classic albums. Oh, and stuff. Man. Wow. Yeah. Dang. Like we were reminiscing, like remember, yeah. like you know, like twenty years ago or whatever. The fuck. <laughs> yeah. She was like, "Oh my god, that was so epic. That's like an epic memory in my life." It was oh like, yeah. It was like a terrible moment in my childhood. I was like, yeah. "Yes, it yeah. was." Mm-hmm. And I had to rebuild from there, and that was kind of where the the whole kind of change over in musical taste happened. For me. I was actually very into baseball cards when Dude, I was like young. Me too. Before that, baseball was my thing. Before music. Yeah. Baseball cards were like a huge deal. And like, like what you did, I had my like big ass binder of baseball cards, you know, that yep. from the beginning of my collection. Because at that point, I had moved on to like you know box sets and stuff yep. like that. But mm-hmm. you know, had that big binder with like individual ones when you were like still buying packs that like had yep. fucking mm-hmm. chip tooth gum in it. Yep. Yeah. Hell yeah. Which <laughs> Foss still eats for the record. Yep. <laughs> I would too. I chew up bazooka um, regularly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I mean, that shit. The flavor stays in that shit way faster though. unless you get the comic yeah it's exactly. a win-win situation <laughs> that's true so what happened with that binder you got you, um, you kept it though? so no the binder I, I went on a family vacation up to like somewhere in upstate new york right mm-hmm. and i left the binder at the house we stayed in oh, man. and you know there was like oh i want to get those cards like yeah. what cards were they like i don't you know, yeah. I, I, I remember some of them. I remember uh, a Bo Jackson Future Stars card. Tops. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and, or like uh, I remember the, the like surreal looking ones that were like team leaders. And it was like four <laughs> yeah. guys on one card because yeah. oh, I was like a big top person. So that was like the intro level. I, I didn't really get of, into Don Russ. When or, I was young, I had a lot of baseball cards. Yeah. And I was all uh, comic cards. I had those oh, yeah? Marvel comic cards. I never had and comic then, cards. And then, I, but the, that, nothing ever tragic happened with my comic cards. Mm. The tragicness happened with the, uh, when I got into Magic the Gathering cards. <laughs> yeah, you know who loves and I Magic the Gathering? got jigged for his Magic the Gathering. Loves that shit is Durazo. Uh, really? Yeah, I bet yeah, Durazo loves going Magic. For like, yeah. <laughs> oh, Don't man. Don't go to Durazo. Totally next time you go next, through there on yo, tour. Yo, I'm going to see him in like a just, week and a half. Yeah, just bust out the Magic cards. I see him. <laughs> I got to like yeah, just buy a couple just packs buy a pack from Game of Birth. And be like, yo, I just started fucking with this. Like, what's the deal? He'll be like, Dude, definitely do that. Yeah, man. All of my all my magic cards got jacked. And, uh, there was like a swap. There's a swap. Plus, I was living in France at the time. There was like uh-huh. this uh, swap mark, like sort of square, yeah. where everyone swapped their magic cards in Paris mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah, somebody just like took my binder and then pretended that his friend ran away with it. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna go run after my friend who took your cards. Here's my binder, which didn't have anything in it. It's like yeah. empty or whatever. It's like I'm gonna go run after him. I'll be back for my binder. A little wow. switcheroo. I was, I was so Damn. heartbroken, man. I was just that, like, oh. that, that's a hard lesson, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. You're like, shit. But, but violence can happen to yeah, me. Violence can happen to me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know when I realized that? Mm. Washington, D.C. My, my friend and I, when we were like 14, uh, when his dad had business in D.C., so we went up with him. And... Um, like just shared a hotel room and his dad was like so lazy affair with him so he was just like yeah whatever like just you know don't fucking die have, have fun in washington dc by yourself right. 
So we we were like looking for weed, and we like walked into this park that was like it was like something out of Menace to Society. There was like to say this is so this is probably like the thirty outskirts. dudes hanging out yeah. like by these picnic tables, and we like roll up there like, hey man, you know, and I got like long ass like white boy afro, like crazy like bright colored skateboard shit, and and we're like, hey you guys know where any weed is? And they were like, oh yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, they're like, yo, how much you guys want? And we were like, 30 bucks. And they're like, cool, give us the 30 bucks. We gave them 30 bucks. And they're like, yo, we, with our man over by that bus stop. And we're like, cool. So they fucking came back and like beat the shit out of us. Like kicked our ass. <laughs> like took Damn. our wallets, our watch, our bracelets. Like... Damn fucking took our shoes like what are they gonna do with size eight and a half fucking fucked up skateboard kicks nothing so we like we like took the metro home um back to like our hotel and shit after getting our ass kicked and this was like right across from a police station mind you that like nobody nobody came out nobody did a damn thing they were just like oh white boys learning a lesson So, (laughs) so we took the train home and when we were on the train back to the hotel, this like we're like sitting there in our socks and like all bloody and shit. And this woman comes up and is like, "Hey, you guys okay?" And I was like, "Oh, I was just having a bad day, you know." And and she's like, "Oh, it's cool, you know. Jesus loves you." And I like wigged on this chick. I was like, "Jesus, what?" And like started like <laughs> freaking out on her. And she was like, "Oh." <laughs> Whoa! Long to Dupont Circle. Get me yeah, out yeah. this thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that was that was like uh, you know, it's hard lessons you gotta yeah. learn, you know, it's when you're when you're a kid. Cause like, you get part of what's weird about or interesting, I guess, about media is that you see things, and especially as you, when you're a young person, you see things, and you don't really reconcile the fact that you don't know any you've never seen anything like that and you probably you know hopefully you never will like if it's like a murder or something like that you know but when that shit happens to you it's like so jarring yeah you know different experience yeah absolutely i remember the first time i got arrested holy crap uh, I remember, like, the cop, like, opening my glove box and just, like, right by the light where that lights up the glove box is, like, this enormous pack of weed. And I was like... <laughs> oh, man. You know? Some like, that's such a, like, a jarring experience, you know? Yeah. Because you can't... I feel like there's, like, things like that, you know? Something... Like, you can't ever know how you're going to react to it. Like, life or death combat. Until you've actually been in life or death combat, you can't say how you react right. yeah you know or like yeah. faced with ha- having to abort a pregnancy or have a baby like that type of decision something like that you know mm-hmm. yeah like you can never say what you're gonna do you can strongly yes. have a good feeling but you know mm-hmm. for all i know like if i were getting Sorry. shot at in the desert i might piss myself you know what i mean yeah exactly i mean it's just like, yeah, I always think of like like a member of your family passes or something. It's like you always think you know how you're going to react. Mm. And you're going to be like sad. Right, it but it's like, a friend or something like but that. But it doesn't really, but it never Until really plays you. out like that, though. No. It's like grief is a weird, like, or yeah, like, like that. Like, like, you know, life and death combat, you know, it's just like, 
once that adrenaline or whatever or grief takes hold of you, it's completely different playing field, yeah. you know? I mean, I'm all, I'm always more scared than a, like, I guess it's not a laughing matter, but uh, I'm more scared if somebody really close to me died that I would just, like, that it would be so unbelievable to me that I'd almost, like, just act like I didn't give a shit. <laughs> You know yeah. what I mean? Just be like, yeah. And see, that's how you think you'd well, react. Or subconsciously, react you just kind of like, your brain does that to you. You know what I mean? It's yeah, easier yeah, to just, just be block like, it out yeah, than just, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't believe I have never taken the sticker off his hat until now. Now you do. Now you got the fresh black circle <laughs> on your brim. Tight. This nice. is a skating hat. Uh, yeah. It, one of the people who were like had a team uh, doing a demo at one of mm -hmm. my parties at okay, this like cool. skate place. They gave me. Now, like, do you a do you skate stuff. or? I used to skate when I was younger. Skate. That's yeah, for cool. sure. I mean, I was down with like Bones Brigade, mm -hmm. all that. I still I had a. I may still be in Connecticut. I don't know. Um, it's like I mean, it's not in super great condition, but it's definitely like collector's item. Uh, Steve Caballero board with original venture trucks hurricane wheels like tight like, super super like really clean only have like one grind mark on it but um yeah i skated when i was young and then you know i would like travel around short distances in bridgeport on my skateboard and fall down a lot yeah mm -hmm. but i can't consider it. and i i skated a lot but i was never ever like particularly good at it right mm -hmm. you know I mean, was, I could like ollie and do some tricks, but uh, like was hip hop kind of part of the skate scene at that point, like it is now, or yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like that was around when you know it, every skateboard kid listened to Cypress Hill. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> that, yeah, that kind of thing. yeah. They they all wore big jeans, pumas, and listened to Cypress Hill. That was your skateboard kids. You remember Jinko jeans? Yeah, I do. I never. <laughs> I owned a pair of the khakis. I never owned a pair of the jeans though. Oh man, fashion trends. Oh yeah, dude. I I was like, I was a such a rave nerd at that point. Yeah. I mean, I was right. I like. I went to raves all the time when I was like, you know, I what, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. That'll make for a good transition here. What made you start DJing? Or is that how you first got into like doing your own kind of thing on the musical side? Yeah, DJing. Yeah. I mean, was it hip-hop or was it the electronic scene? Or I think it was, it was both. But when I started, when I got turntables... What year I, was it that you started DJing publicly? Publicly? Um, or probably maybe 1999. Okay. Um, and what was, was the, what was the scene? What was the situation? <laughs> the scene was actually it was my first year of like DJing and getting paid for it was yeah. like awesome. It was so. Was good. it like you got one? Someone was like, "All right, gave you a shot." Like, yo, you get an hour, or like no, it was like, it, "Okay, check night. it out." Hey, look, you're hired. Show up here every Tuesday and yeah, DJ. This pretty time. much. I I had I did one night. And promoted it like I did one night where I was DJing, promoted it all week at my college because I was like a sophomore. I wasn't even 21. Yeah. And um, so I promoted it, you know, made like $500 at the door, just charging five bucks a head. 
And like I missed I missed the days. <laughs> yeah, so it was like super cracking and then just you know, they gave me like every I did every Thursday and Saturday at this spot. And this spot was like it was the closest bar to campus, but for whatever reason people didn't really go there. Like Hofstra students didn't really go there. Yeah. So what this place was was like it it was this I, I can't confirm or deny, but like the guys who ran it were like good fellas. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I would come down because I because I had my gear. I just kept my gear there as opposed yeah. to like having it in my dorm and just lugging it. Yeah. Um. So you know sometimes I would go down there in the afternoon to like practice or whatever, just like scratch, and um, and they'd be there like taking bets on the payphone. Up for like horse, they're like watching OTB like on the TV, <laughs> <laughs> and like a lot of nights, we you know after after hours, we would hang out till like seven in the morning, you know playing blackjack and drinking, and they knew all of us were underage and they didn't give a shit. They were just like whatever, because I mean that place was totally like losing money before I officially. came in. Officially. Yeah, officially. Totally losing money before I came in there. And then they started actually... Yeah. <laughs> and then they started, like, actually making money. And, like, other friends of mine who were DJs, like, did nights and whatnot. So it was, like, it was cool. We just, like, totally took over the spot. Was there any, like, reputable DJs in your scene at the time? Or, like, your, like, area, your radius? Uh, I mean, we had... You know, somebody who played a lot around Hofstra was DJ Scribble. Oh, okay. And that guy was actually, I mean... Was he DJ Scribble at the time? Or yeah, was he, he was like DJ a, Scribble. A young... No, no, he was DJ Scribble. And he was he was dope. Like, that dude, like, technique-wise, he has, like, really, really solid technique. Whether you agree with what he's playing or not, his beat matching on wax, and, I mean, this is, you know, 97, 98. Right. Like, on wax was, like, flawless. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, you know, good with good with the cuts. I mean, I don't know if he, you know, I'm sure he battled, you know, regionally or something like that, but I never heard about him, like, being DMCs or anything. But, yo, like, good cuts, you know, really smooth transitions. Like, yeah. technique-wise, I can't say nothing bad about DJ Scrub. All right, so what, like, what, what took it from being a uh, part-time club DJ to uh you know being more creative with it and, and involved oh, involved well, in the scene how did well, you know, I always what was the next was, uh, step well i will i always was like who did you meet doing weird open format shit even when i was djing in college and like, you had I a radio was, show or yeah i had a radio show well so i graduated college um and moved to arkansas and was an on-air radio personality at a hip-hop and R&B station in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And that only lasted for like about six months. And then I came back up north, because I went to Hofstra for audio radio engineering. Uh-huh. And, bit, and also like on-air technique, voice technique and stuff. So um, I came back to the East Coast and got into like a really bad car accident and was like, you know, off my feet or whatever for like three months I was in a wheelchair and shit Damn. and um then uh you know and then I, I sort of was trying to make it in radio you know so I had shows on like Fairfield University I had a show on WPKN 
Um, and then I also did the Saturday disco party for like a commercial station. So it was like shit like Donna Summer and whatnot. I was cool mm-hmm. disco Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, cool disco Jeep. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I loved it. And the format of that show was like I basically had to act like I was a DJ in this like uh, Studio Fifty Four club and shit. So I like had all these characters, like the fucking <laughs> my the dude who like one of the guys who like you know swept up glass when somebody threw a drink or whatever. His name was Hernando, mm-hmm. and um, just like all these funny, funny characters. For this, um, so it made it more interesting for me than just like being like, yeah. "Hey, you just heard Shalimar right. now yeah. up next." You know? yeah. like, no way, <laughs> no way, I can't do it. So the persona was like you were in a club. I was, DJ. yeah, I was, I was a DJ right. in so the club. So like live broadcast. Yeah, exactly, like, live broadcast from Studio Studio One Hundred Eight or something like that. But yeah, so I I always did radio and I try to make it for a lot. I mean, I had a whole radio career. I mean, I always continue like continue practicing and collecting mm-hmm. records and you know wanting opportunity like yeah. going to people's house parties and DJing and shit but um, and eventually landed you that the job at WPKN or? Uh, yeah well being uh, uh, on on air at WPKN uh, I eventually became general manager but that mm-hmm. was um, you know the big change in my life was I was uh, took a job with Weston Woods as like a producer Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like a uh, customer service. Okay. So um, I would have like a production load that I would have to do, and they make videos for Scholastic, mm-hmm. like kids' videos. Yeah. Um, and so like I would do things like remaster the the old um, masters for like the Spanish read-along cassettes or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. do like totally like menial studio tasks, and then also do customer service. <laughs> So I did that job for almost two years, mm-hmm. and um, during that time, I um, ha- had a show on uh, Fairfield University, mm-hmm. and the guy on before me was DJ Q, and his co-host was Adam Bernard, who yeah. him and I became really good friends, and we would go out to events and stuff like that. Shout out to Adam Bernard, mm-hmm. if you don't know. Um, you should definitely check out adamsworld.blogspot.com, I think is uh, mm-hmm. his site. I feel like a jerk that I don't know it off the top <laughs> of my head. You know, he's the homie. But yeah, still the homie, so. yeah. Um, but so I started going out to events with him, his one of his good friends from Hofstra, and also Adam went to Hofstra at the same time that I was at Hofstra. We just didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. So another student who was also at Hofstra when I was there um, is a guy by the name of Dialect. Uh, he was in a crew called Mindspray. Mm-hmm. And so I went out to a couple of events that they did at the Knitting Factory back when it was on Leonard Street in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And this is like 04, mm-hmm. 05. Yeah. And this was like some real like New York underground shit. Like, uh, like once a month happened at the old office in, um, at the Knitting Factory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like, it was dope, you know? Um, so I, w- I really wanted to be a part of it, and so like I just kind of hit up the like crew leader, this guy, um, concept, what up to concept, yeah, concept. 
Um, uh, and there's a lot of concepts, but uh, not concepts who from uh, Brown Bag All Stars or and not, uh-huh. not not concept. There's another concept who spells it with a K. And uh-huh. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, so I hit up concept was like, yo man, I, I really I like what you guys do. I'm a DJ. I'd love to like be down essentially, mm-hmm. you know. So they were like, okay, yeah, sure, like nice. you know, we'll we'll have you open up. Um, open up one of the knitting factories, do a DJ set to open up the knitting factory show. I was like, all right, cool. I was really mm-hmm. amped. You know, I had yeah, never, I hadn't like DJed in New York City or anything like that before. City. So it was like a really big deal. Um, I went out there and like did like a really good set of, you know, underground hip hop, you know, like playing like Smith and Wesson and <laughs> like all these joints like that had 12 zones. Oh, yeah. So yeah, pop, they were like, love Smith and Wesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, you're good. So I started doing shows with them as their DJ. And I also had Serato, which no, oh, no, yes. none of their DJs had. New yeah, that was super new. Right? You know, it'd come out, like, uh, maybe that year or something like that. Mm-hmm. So for me, to be able to, like, play and scratch their instrumentals and whatnot, was like that was, like, a big deal, you know, to be able to do that. So that was, like, part of what got me in with them, I guess. But, you know, after a while, I, I, you know, got better at DJing and whatnot, and, you know. And so, um, one of the guys from Mindspray asked me to go on this national tour um, with him. Shouts to... Uh, <laughs> national tours, man, national tours. Yeah. Shouts to my man Domer, Broke MC, and oh. the Meter Mates. Um, so, I did a tour and DJed for all, all three of those groups. Um, it was like... I don't know, but like 35 dates in 40 days or something like that. So, yeah. like, really crazy tour schedule. <laughs> and first time I had been, like, out in California and whatnot, uh, yeah. um, we played, like, Escondido. We played a place, you, maybe you might know. I've played Escondido uh, before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We knew this guy, Chance. He was, like, a Chance blonde dude. Rapper. He was, ca- no, yeah, I, I thought about it. Um, but he was, a, he was okay. He was an okay guy, but, um... We played a place in Merced that was like a family-owned like Mexican restaurant, and it was called Tacos and Turntables. <laughs> Can't say I've ever done that. All right. Tacos yeah. and it, it seemed like it was like one of those Bay things. Like it was like a tour-through place. You know what I mean? Like sort of like how the Honey Hive. You know, somebody like Getty or, or Mike Eagle or Milo, or whatever. They'll like play a Honey Hive show. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. With that type of a joint. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and and That's then one right. basically, I just qu- I quit my job because I hated it at Western Woods, mostly because mm-hmm. the girl who was like my immediate superior, like she, really like wanted to get down when I was first working there, and mm-hmm. I stupidly thought, well, you know, if I have like a this easy flirtatious relationship with my superior, it'll make my life a little bit easier, you know. Mm-hmm. So like I made it clear I had a girlfriend and I never did anything with this girl, so she like got pissy that I, you know, I guess she felt that I led her on when she was like, yeah, let's be friends. And I was like, okay, let's be friends. So, she basically tried to get me fired oh, for like many, many years. So, once they were like, yeah, we'll do this tour, I was like, fuck yeah, I hit my job, I'm gonna quit. So I quit my job and that was like really the last time I had a, like a consistent job like that until I became general manager at WPKN and then that's like that's definitely like the last consistent like job where I had to like show up at a place right. for 
you know, it's at a certain time and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. And even that one, I could have been, I could have fucking gone in at noon and, you know, people would be pissed about it, but nobody's going to, like, fire me over it. Right. Um, but, yeah, so I just, uh, I don't know, I guess through being in the New York scene, you know, like the Mind Spray, like, how did that, that event, that monthly event that, that like, I became the resident DJ for? Yeah. Um, it was like, we had like Hangar 18, Jay Sands, like, we had like, you know, Pumpkinhead played there, um. Was that how you would go on to meet a lot of the guys that would form Fig Four, or did that happen out in Connecticut, or did they... That happened actually out in in Connecticut, but it was through, uh, somebody I'd met on the road from, Uh with touring Mindspray people, um. So I knew this guy MC Homeless, who like uh, was is like a huge so a DIY right. person, rap guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's put yeah. together, like made a lot of stuff happen in the DIY rap scene. Mm-hmm. So shouts to Matt Greenberg, aka MC Homeless. Homeless. But uh, Homeless was doing a show in New Haven with Chesky, and he knew me, and that I lived in Bridgeport. So he hit me up, was like, hey man, I'm going to be doing this show, would you want DJ for me? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was like, hey, do you think I could do a set? And he was like, I'm unsure, but, you know, Chesky's a cool guy, why don't you ask him? And I had had his album, They Hate Francisco False, sent to me for radio earlier that year in January. And this is maybe, I don't know, uh, March or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh... So I was like, oh shit, I know who that is. Uh, I And from that album, I thought he was from the West Coast. I thought he was from L.A. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, that's weird that he's throwing a show in Connecticut, right? Yeah. And uh, and so like we talked back and forth, and I was like, hey, what's up? Um, you know, Homeless asked me to hit you up. And he was like, oh, hey. And, you know, totally such a nice guy, sure. really, like, inviting dude, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, You're almost like... Of that. Like, extended like it's almost vibe. like suspiciously nice, yeah. you know? Yeah. But I mean it's it's yeah. Chesky, so he's totally genuine. Uh-huh. But um so I did did some shows with him and he you know, he knew I was a DJ in the area. So, you know, when they would do other shows, because he had I guess just recently relocated back to New Haven from the uh West Coast or Hawaii or something. And um so like we just were doing shows or whatever, and you know, hanging out, and uh, and I talk, you know, I had worked for psychological when I was in college, which was like a, a trip, and then um, uh, I also like worked a little bit with Fool's Gold, so yeah. How did all this happen? You just approached them? Yeah, and... I just approached them. I mean, I, most of most of the things that I've done are just because I like asked somebody. I was like, hey, can I he loves, do uh, this? His psychological record stories are great. You should ask him about that. <laughs> Do you want to share a good one? Not if they're too long-winded. No, no. Okay, but you can't mention that you worked for Fool's Gold. Was, this was before they were Fool's Gold of today, but... Uh, oh, well, yeah. That's what <laughs> was, This is like... When, like what right was the deal with that? Um, I basically, like, hit up... Hit up... Um, hit them up... To like you know like intern or whatever with them and just sort of assume that I would like you know win them over and get employment <laughs> basically 
So, uh, unfortunately, I did not win them over and get employment. But I did have a good time, and it was cool, like, you know, getting to know um, Nick and Josh were, like, really cool guys. Uh, Elaine um, was in and out of the office. But, what uh, artists were on the label at that time? Um, that was, like, right around when Kid Cudi's record was, like, huge day and night. I mean, that's what, like, I mean, that that song went, like, super, super platinum or whatever, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so, um, that was, like, around that time. You know, like, they had, like, people like Conga Rock and Sammy Brown, like, they didn't have Danny Brown or even oh, yeah, Donis yeah, at yeah, that point. Sure. Was, was A-Track was always the one who ran that, right? Or uh, well, it's, it's run by him and uh, Nick Catchdubs. Oh, okay, okay. And then they also have this guy, Dust LaRock, mm-hmm. uh, who is like their staff um, art director. Mm-hmm. So he does all the all the yeah, okay, know, cool. art stuff so for them. Little, yeah, creates all team. the merch and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a little team and they're like pretty effective. Uh, they When yeah. I was like on my way out there, they had just taken on a label manager. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming that, I don't know if it's still the same girl uh, who was there when I was there, but uh, yeah, yeah, cool. It was, it was a nice place, and uh, they like they're really amazing as far as like their reach with such a small staff mm-hmm. is. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I try to think about it and emulate it with, with like what with Chesky and I, but it's just that I don't know. I don't know if we're just not well connected enough for what, because I mean. Oh, yeah. Because oh, they, you know, they have. I almost feel like, like I almost feel like Fake Four and Fools Go like o- occupy different realms of yeah, like the hip hop totally. universe. You know, it's, it's like totally. it's definitely going to attract different. And not saying that they couldn't collaborate at some point, but it's like yeah, definitely like. I agree. I agree. Sort of yes. So for people who aren't in the know, um, between that first meeting with Chesky and now, you went on to become the label manager at Fake Four. So like what what all uh what's been like your experience over the years? Like not necessarily what do you do every day, but like what are some of the things that you've kinda had a hand in in the evolution of Fake Four? Oh, um well Or what or what do you you know what kind of <laughs> stuff do you what kind of stuff do you do over there? Uh, I basically, I'm, I You am, DJ, that's in your name. Yeah, I, I do DJ, but that's not, most of my job is just, is literally just like paper pushing. It's, it's yep. like a totally administrative position, lots of emails, lots yep. of hollering at people about like deadlines and, and making yep. sure stuff happens or getting pissed when it doesn't happen because yep. inevitably it doesn't. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, that's... Most of what I do, I uh, you know I run the a lot of the in-house radio campaigns. So you know next week we're gonna be sending uh, the Tommy V album oh, nice. out to radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it's like whatever 300 stations we service and uh-huh. it's just email stuff. I try to be back and forth. You know. Are you sending through. that out on cassette or? No, no, no we're just cool. just digital just promo. Digital. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So we do that and you know. A lot of our other stuff, like the um, our upcoming things that are only going to be on vinyl, I'll probably send out digital copies to radio, but there'll be like super radio edits, just so it's like even if somebody leaks it, it's not like the actual album anyway. Yeah. So how many projects are you guys having a hand in? 
per year, would you say, or how many different artists are you guys able to um, accommodate at one time? Well, like um, in the first half of 2016, we have six or seven projects coming out. And are you doing all formats of music and then like various types of merchandise that's non-audio? Um, we actually you... don't even have any, any uh, merchandise plans, which we should just because that's good. You know, it's money that's well spent because it's unallocated. It's not, you know, it's not yeah. going towards somebody's recoup or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, we have, we have, yeah, it's all, a lot of stuff that's going to be coming out this year is, is vinyl only. Uh. Mm -hmm. um, there's at least three projects that we're just putting out the vinyl of. Mm -hmm. um, just vinyl. Just vinyl. No digital. No CD. Well, no cassette. Well, they'll be digital. But not on take four. But um, a few should. Some some won't be. It depends on who it is and what kind of deal we worked out. And that concludes part one of our chit chat with DJ Halo from the Fake Four Inc. Posse. Very recently and in the very near future, we got new music out from Subject Jazz and G. Check the history single, you will not be disappointed. We got new music from One Word and Pete Feliciano. Also very killer. Genre bending. And we got a new one called Baptism new collab between NY Otis and our man Lohis. Not to be missed. Cool shit. And how could I forget, we got another new one from the Good News Project coming out real, 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 real soon. Poen Citizen featuring Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Juan Alderetti, and Takatozawa from the Deltron 3030 crew. Ethan Baxley from the Brothers Cosmos on drums. Man, that one's a good one. Can't wait for y'all to hear that. Until next time, it's been Swell. This has been the SM Podcast. Chickity check out studymusicgroup.com for all the latest and the greatest. We are out of here. For Elit, I'm Citizen. Peace.
Today's episode is also brought to you by Sonos. They got top quality sound for the whole house, whether it's one room that you like to do your listening in or every room as you're walking through, handling your chores, living your life. They're going to put top quality sound wherever you need it, big or small. They got single speaker systems or systems geared up for five to six rooms in your home. So check out studymusicgroup.com slash podcast and follow the link to Sonos. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.